Welcome back to Brooklands and this edition of The Track. My name's Tim Morris. On the 17th of May, Brooklands, along with the National Motor Museum, the National Transport Trust, Steam Dreams and the Sunbeam Talbot Darak Register, celebrated a significant anniversary uh, that took place at uh, Brooklands 100 years ago. It was the last time that a world land speed record was broken on a closed circuit, and that took place at Brooklands. Uh, The car was the Sunbeam 350, and that was driven by Kenham Lee Guinness. And uh, it was delightful to see another Kenham Lee Guinness, the original's grandson, actually sitting in the car on the railway straight with a steam train behind him. Now that emulates uh, a famous painting by F. Gordon Crosby uh, that appeared in the Autocar magazine in 1929. The Sunbeam is uh, currently owned by the National Motor Museum and it was fantastic to see the car at Brooklands uh, both on the railway straight and the finishing straight in action uh, driving up and down alongside other record-breaking cars on the day. The occasion was also used to launch the Brooklands Innovation Academy, which aims to help uh, young people in their STEM subjects, as uh, Tamalee Newbury, the CEO of Brooklands, uh, explains now. And so what we really try and do here is to use the stories of what happened in the past and draw the connections between the kinds of people that made things happen here that had never happened in the world before, that broke records, that won races, that designed aircraft, that uh, did things that people had never done before, and connect that up with the opportunities there are, especially in careers in STEM subjects, so in science, technology, engineering and maths, to do that in the future. And this panel is partly about sharing some of those opportunities. And the other side of that wall, we have an exhibition uh, which we put on with McLaren Automotive, which is exactly about that. It's called Driven by Design, and it's about the people as much as the cars, because cars don't design themselves. They don't exist unless people design them and build them, and, and that's true for everything on this site. Um, and whilst the things that have happened here have happened, new records are always being set, there are always new opportunities to break new boundaries. If the world is going to have a future in the climate emergency that we have, new technology, new engineering, new science is a vital part of that and we want to inspire everybody and anybody to feel that those are careers that they can take up. So today we're launching the Brooklyn's Innovation Academy, which is one of the ways in which we're going to be doing this in the future. And the Brooklyn's Innovation Academy is a partnership that we are doing with uh, Professor Brian Cox, him off the telly, which he doesn't like me saying it like that, um, and Lord Andrew Mawson and Well North Enterprises and Bourne Education Trust, who are a chain of um, school academy chain schools in this area. Um, And we're working together with businesses like McLaren, who are one of our supporters, um, and GlaxoSmithKline, to really give young people an opportunity to understand that when you have a career in science and engineering, it isn't like sitting in a science lesson for the rest of your life, that it is all about problem solving, about innovation, about the entrepreneurship and about the human qualities that go into being successful in that. 
um, and we'll be working with a series of programs throughout the year giving the young people an opportunity to explore those <laughs> kinds of elements of both science and engineering but also of the qualities that it takes to work as a team to achieve those things and then in the, towards the end of the year we have a big celebration event where Brian Cox will be hosting a whole range of different speakers and we'll have 400 young people here in, able to talk about uh, what careers in STEM could be for them. And now we move over to the speed panel who introduce themselves and tell us what Brooklands means to them. Hi guys, uh, I'm incredibly proud of you to be, uh, to be hosting this panel today. Um, but first we're going to start with, uh, with, with a couple of introductions. So I'm Johnny Spinner, I'm from McLaren Automotive, I'm a vehicle program manager and I was uh, responsible for the, uh, for the Senate GTR which you'll see next door if you go and take a look at the, uh, the, the exhibition later on. Um, Don, do you want to introduce yourself? Okay, um, thank you. Uh, my name's Don Wales, um, I suppose I'm um, best known as being the sort of grandson of Sir Malcolm Campbell, nephew of Donald Campbell who broke numerous records. Uh, I've broken a few sort of class records uh, for the electric car. Uh, I hold the world record for a steam-powered car, uh, but I also broke a record for a lawnmower, which I know is going to uh, amuse one of the schools. Uh, that really was a cut above the rest. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I earn my living as a photographer, so um, that's, that's me, pretty much. Thank you. Andy. Hi, I'm Andy Green. Um, my day job has been as a fighter pilot in the Royal Air Force, and my holiday job has been uh, driving world land speed record cars. Um, I was lucky enough to drive the Thrust supersonic car. We still hold the outright world land speed record at 763 miles an hour. Um, longest standing record in history, which is a measure of how difficult it is, and a real, real annoyance to the Americans, so it's worth doing just for that. Um, I was lucky enough to drive the world's fastest diesel car, the JCB Diesel Max, which is, again, showcasing what you can do with really good basic technology of something like a digger engine, or in this case, two digger engines in close formation, 350 miles an hour at one of all solar flats, and most lately working on the Bloodhound Land Speed Record project um, about trying to see if it's possible to get to 1,000 miles an hour and using that adventure to promote science and technology globally, just the way that Tamalee was describing earlier. Thank you. David. Hi everyone, my name is David Turton. I'm a mechanical engineer at an electric startup company based in England called McMurtry Automotive. We've got a very exciting small little electric car um, and our aim is to make it the fastest track car in the world. So it's not on the same ballpark as these guys doing hundreds and hundreds of miles an hour, but um, doing corners and going around Silverstone is, is what we enjoy to do. Uh, and I hope um, yeah, being here today can answer some of your questions about getting involved in um, mechanical engineering or electrical engineering as a potential future career. Thank you. So the pursuit of speed, it's a kind of really broad umbrella. Um, what we do in Formula One in McLaren is very different to what we do in the automotive side of the business and that's very different to what these guys do. Um, but what links us all and links us to, uh, to, to Brooklands, as Tamley said, is the, um, the, the spirit in which we do it. Yeah, the methodology that we use, that, uh, that spirit of innovation, the one of uh, pursuing um, the ultimate goal and, uh, and never giving up. Um, and we are here at, uh, at, at Brooklands and it's a, an amazing sunny day outside. Um, this is the, uh, the HQ of Sir, Ma uh, Sir Malcolm Campbell and, uh, and as Tommy said, where, where the, um, the land speed record was set 100 years ago. Um, so our first question really is about Brooklands and, uh, and, and Don, what does, uh, what does Brooklands mean to you? Oh crikey! Um, 
Well, I mean, Brooklyn's to me is uh, uh, what it is now is just a fabulous place. You know, it's so steeped um, in history, you can't fail but to be absorbed by it. But from, from my personal point of view, it's obviously um, arguably where um, my grandfather made his name. So Martin Campbell raced here and uh, he had a, a series of nicknames for all of his cars. I think that's what was fairly common in those days. Uh, and these cars just didn't give him the success that he, he craved for. And this is going back to sort of 1910, 11 and 12. Uh, and then one day he was watching a play called The Blue Bird of Happiness. And this was a play that um, was in London. It's a, a fairy story about some kids trying to find this bird of happiness. And it was always just out of their reach. Um, and again, it's a, it's a story about um, trying to improve yourself through life, looking for this happiness. And eventually you realize that the happiness is within you and it's up to you to bring that out and, and to enjoy life and to, to better yourself as you go along. So grandfather was so taken by this play that he thought, well, I'm gonna call my car Bluebird. And he, on the way home late at night, he woke up the local ironmonger, bought every tin of blue paint that just happened to be there and the next day, uh, well, he painted the car blue that night, and the next day he drove to Brooklyn's here and wrote Bluebird on the side of it and won his first race. So from that moment onwards, everything was Bluebird. Um, so that's where um, my grandfather started, and then from that uh, he wanted to be the fastest man alive, um, and he then eventually acquired the Sunbeam that we've all been celebrating today. Uh, and became the first man to do 150 and then went on to do 300 miles an hour. But without Brooklands, I doubt that would have happened. Um, Brooklands being the center of motoring in its day, it was the sort of the center of excellence. It attracted all of the designers, all of the technology of the day. Um, and my grandfather recognized that, he capitalized on it um, and, and sort of honed his, his driving skills here. So to me, Brooklyn's is the birthplace of my family's achievements. It's an incredible story. Ernie, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, great question. Um, actually, my, my story will start even before that. Um, Brooklyn's to me is a reminder that if you're gonna have a dinner party, be very careful how much you have to drink. <laughs> 1906, Hugh Lock King, owner of this whole estate, had a dinner party, and at that dinner party, having had possibly one too many drinks, um, took a bet that he could build the world's first purpose-built racetrack right here. Then contacted his, uh, his good friend Colonel Holden from the Royal Artillery, who built it for him. And the following year, 1907, it was open. Now, Colonel Holden did the classic MOD thing, overspec, overpriced, uh, but he did actually get it built. And it was terribly bumpy. Not just now, it's always been bumpy. But nonetheless, as Don's just uh, so expertly explained, it was the world's first purpose-built banked racetrack and attracted all of that expertise. The tyre manufacturers, the engine manufacturers, the chassis, the drivers, everybody wanted to come to Brooklands. This was the place where the technology happened. 11 years after it opened, the First World War finished, and at that point, this was also the largest aircraft manufacturing plant in Britain, one of the largest in Europe, with all of the expertise the lightweight aero engines, the lightweight structures for aeroplanes, and critically, wind tunnel technology. Because if you want to go really fast, it's not just about having a big engine and being able to handle it, it's also, as you guys have found out, it's also about the aerodynamics, the bodywork, and the drag. And 
in you know, Malcolm Campbell's name, as far as we know, is the first one associated with wind tunnel testing of high-speed straight-line cars. And that was discovered in the archives here at Brooklands. That is why, since the 1920s, the British have totally dominated the world land speed record for the last 100 years. We've done more of that than every other nation put together. As I say, that really annoys the Americans, so it's worth it just for that. But more importantly, it's about demonstrating that sheer global expertise and excellence. And you can trace that outwards through the rest of motorsport, starting from here to ultimately, you know, where is Formula One based? And it's in the Vale of Oxford. You know, the gentlemen on my left, they sit here representing the, the world's best automotive and autosport expertise. Their sport, Formula One, yes, I know it's only small, slow cars that go round and round in circles, but they are the best in the world at, sorry, I couldn't resist, but they are the best in the world at what they do. And why does Britain have that expertise? Because of this place. Because Brooklands, before it was anything else, is what we would now call the world's very first and very best automotive, autosport and aerospace industry centre of excellence. That's what happened here, and we still, a hundred plus years later, are reaping the benefits of it through great British teams like McLaren and all of the other expertise, which is globally recognised, and it's a multi-billion pound business for this country. So, thank you, Brooklands. I completely agree. The, um, the first, I thought um, you might. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, the first, uh, first Formula One British Grand Prix was uh, was was here. Um, the, the this is the genesis of, uh, of motorsport in the UK, and, uh, and the whole industry has grown up from there, um, and, and like you say, we are the world leaders. Um, Formula One teams are all based in, uh, in, in the UK, with one or two notable exceptions, but, uh, but yes, almost exclusively. David, what are, what are your thoughts? So, it's my first time visiting Brooklyn's today, and I think my impression is bold, British, and banking. <laughs> um, so, looking around the museums earlier, there's a fantastic picture of uh, John Cobb with his wheels off the ground, setting a record in the silver, no Railton, and you think, imagine Lewis Hamilton doing a record with Mercedes jumping through the air. Like, that is something that is really, really um, different uh, and pioneering and brave. Um, the Britishness sings through in the cars that have been built here, run here, set records with uh, iconic families. Um, and yeah, motorsport is something close to my heart because it's the reason I got into engineering in the first place. So I used to do go-kart racing at my local track and that led on to doing an engineering degree, uh, working in Formula One and now working for an electric car company. Um, so, yeah, the emotions of preparing a car, um, getting your friends to help out, finding a little bit of budget, um, having engines blow up. Uh, I, I can imagine all these things happened 100 years ago, um, and it would have been great to have seen that. Um, and, then, and then the banking. So I think some people here might be um, Formula One fans. You've got the banking at Brooklands, where the first yeah, British Grand Prix was held, but there's banking all over the world that's really famous that pushes cars to the limit. You've got um, a track in Italy called Monza, which has some famous old banking. You have a track in America called Indianapolis, um, where there's cars racing at 240 miles an hour still to this day. Um, and um, yeah, so using that experience from the modern day and then casting it back 100 years ago, you just think, crikey, we've got it fairly easy nowadays with uh, <laughs> everything we've got. You raise a really good point um, around the kind of the, the safety elements, and Lewis Hamilton wouldn't be allowed to make jumps in his Formula One car and that kind of thing. It, it is a. I've seen the Mercedes. It is jumping this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> true, true. Um,
And that was Deep Purple and Speed King. Uh, plenty of Speed Kings on our panel today, and we head back to them where they talk about uh, innovations from Speed Records onto electric cars. Increased efficiency in cars and the move to um, to alternative drivetrain technologies, that kind of thing, is driving technologies and it requires technologies that are being developed in these um, in these kind of crucibles of, uh, of engineering. Yeah, absolutely, um, and I, I, going back to my grandfather and my uncle's day, um, yes, motor racing has always helped um, everyday motoring, but record braking has helped that as well. Uh, my grandfather, prior to record braking, um, he wore a leather flying hat, goggles. Um, he was partially responsible for uh, inventing the crash helmet, purely for his son Donald, because he said Donald was too clumsy uh, and needed a crash helmet. Um, and he said if Don goes into record breaking, um, every likelihood is he'll end up killing himself. So he wanted him to wear a crash on it. But then when Donald came into record breaking, um, he was, again, partially responsible for promoting seatbelts. And the seatbelt saved his life in 1960 when he had a car crash. So, um, like motorsport, Lansbury record breaking has um, contributed to road safety as well. So, uh, yeah, an incredible story. And, and the the principle of relevance is, um, is, is a big one. And, you know, we are moving to alternative drivetrain technologies and that, that's happening in the automotive industry. We're now looking at, um, at the internal combustion engine becoming something that we've used previously and we're now looking at electric drivetrains. Um, do you think that, um, that chasing speed limits is relevant in the era of, um, of electric drivetrains? David, I'll let you uh, jump in on that. So, interestingly, the first car to ever go over a hundred kilometers an hour was actually an electric car back in 1899. So electric cars have um, been pushing the limits uh, way before these combustion guys came along and <laughs> took, the, took all the glory. Um, I think one of the key things about chasing records, um, it's, it's the learning that the team can get um, by having a really clear focus like when you're building a record car, you haven't got to worry about putting in air conditioning or a stereo, or um, you can really focus on pushing the technology to the absolute limit. Um, and, and when you get a team with a clear goal, you can really, really um, create like a snowball effect of energy uh, and learning, and you're kind of thinking 24-7, so you wake up in the middle of the night, and you'll be thinking of how you can make your part better. And then that uh, energy like feeds into your teammates. And then before you know it, you look back in six months' time and you think, guys, how did we create something as awesome as any of the cars you've built or cars that we, got, we, we guys work on? Um, and, and maybe you've worked on, on an exciting car and then you'll get another job in another industry and um, cutting-edge technology and uh, analysis techniques from uh, record cars could be made to make buses better if you work for a local bus company. And uh, all these things uh, all come around in a, in, a, in a full circle and it's amazing the people you meet in the engineering circles because it's a, it's a very tight-knit community and, and um, yeah, everyone helps each other to, to learn every day. Don, have you got any, any thoughts on the relevance in the EV world? Um, oh yes, I mean I, I started promoting electric vehicles back in the mid-1990s. <coughs> Um, and I can remember we had a, a display at the Autosport show and we were the only car that was electric on, in the whole hall at Autosport in Birmingham, massive show. And people were coming up to us and saying, uh, an electric car? Why, why, why are you promoting an electric car? 
it, it won't go very far, it won't be very fast, um, and we've got enough oil and petrol to last another 200 years or so. Um, you're sort of barking up the wrong tree. But we did persevere, um, and um, eventually we got a land speed record. It wasn't as fast as I was hoping for, but it started to promote electric vehicles. Um, I wanted to raise the money, which is something we all mentioned about earlier, um, to, to do a world record attempt. And if I could, I would still do that. I'm not sure um, that an electric car doing four or 500 miles an hour, which is a project I, I still have um, dreams on, is as relevant as trying to get a, a smaller electric car um, that has everyday road usage to promote uh, an electric car. So sort of an under a thousand kilo class of car um, would would be uh, a nice record to go for, which is 250 odd miles an hour, I think now. But that has more relevance to everyday motoring. Um, but land speed records, uh, top speed is the glamour. You know, that's the big headline news. And it's people like Andy who, who promote that so well. Um, but there are so many classes of records. It's not just electric cars. Electric cars, I think, are uh, the interim fix to our, our issues. And there's technology that we still need to invent. There's hydrogen. Um, and there's probably something else that we've not even got, got into yet, which the youngsters today could well be developing in 20, 30 years' time. I expect you're probably absolutely right. Um, certainly from a um, from a battery electric perspective, the the challenges are are big, and uh, it's pushing the boundaries of those challenges that um, that happens in these record breaking attempts that um, that really allows us to move forward. Um, but you're right. There's, there's there's other technologies out there, and uh, and and many many opportunities to explore those and, and develop them into the cars of tomorrow. Absolutely. I mean, the problem I had. Um, with my car was it couldn't quite get the ethos across to um, it was a, a university was helping me um, I'm not going to slag off universities it's not my job today but um, I wanted them to push their technology to breaking point and break it and then fix it we know then where not to go to next time um, and I think that's what motorsport is all about it's pushing those boundaries it's land but pushing the boundaries right to the very limit if it breaks you can fix it, and then you know what your boundary is for the time being, um, and it's it's yeah developing it. Once we've clear about Brooklyn as well, when you wander around the place, um, there's clearly a huge mix of um, of disciplines here, and we've talked about this kind of cross discipline that's required to um, to really launch a um, a land speed record, but the. Um, the industries are, um, are, are and technologies are moving away from each other. Do you ever think that we'll see the same kind of collaboration and cross fertilisation that we that we saw in in Brooklands in the in the early years in uh, in the automotive industry going forward? So looking at some of the cars out there, so they're cars with an engine from an airplane, <laughs> um, and as you're seeing at the moment now, it's electric cars that are happening first before electric planes. So it feels like maybe the automotive industry will have some technology to feed forward to the aerospace industry because they're going to go through a lot more um, design cycles because um, automotive is typically design a car between three and five years and a plane might take 10 to 20 years. Um, and I think what you'll find with electrification is you have to be really, really specific in what you want to do. So you can't just have like a seven-seater family car for one person to go to work in because you'll be wasting a lot of um, a lot of energy. 
Um, so yeah, I think you'll see over the next sort of five, ten years, um, a lot more specific transport for specific applications. Um, and uh, yeah, for example, hopefully e-scooters will be legalised soon, and we can all um, keep commute to work on them and save a bit of traffic. Um, you know, th these landscape records they occupy a huge amount of time. We've talked about the amount of, the amount of money that they cost and that kind of thing. Um, what what is it that uh, that really captures people's imagination that makes people want to do this? Record breaking is about storytelling. Uh, let me give you some examples. Um, anybody know who jump? Who's the uh, person to jump out of the highest? Uh, do the highest balloon jump ever? Is a guy called sorry? Baumgartner and the Red Bull uh, yeah, so-called space jump. He never went near space, but Red Bull told a really good story there. Do you know about the guy whose name even I've forgotten now, Paul something or other, who did it the following year, I think, actually it was just a few months later, and jumped 20,000 feet higher? He didn't bother to tell anybody. He didn't bother to get a, uh, a whole team of, and if you saw the, uh, the Red Bull jump and that huge team of guys on laptops, they weren't engineers, they were running PR feeds. That was the, well, they, they looked good, they were all running global PR feeds, which is why they got the, live, the largest live internet audience. And you remember the uh, Baumgartner name, we all do, because he jumped, basically repeated something that had been done in the 1960s, and another guy did something technically much more impressive, you've never heard of him. It's about storytelling. Um, and if you want to develop new technology, doing a land speed record is not the cheapest way to do it. Because you can develop a new technology and then just use it. You don't then have to put it to a land speed record car and then take it to a desert a third of the way around the world and spend a long time out there testing and developing this new prototype vehicle. But if you want to convince people that this technology works and show it to them in an extreme and exciting way, and exciting is really important in this context, then a land speed record becomes very cost effective. But you have to tell that story and get the excitement. If you want to remind not just this country, but the whole world, that Britain is still at the top of the pile for a whole range of engineering uh, expertise and disciplines, from auto sport um, and land speed record through to uh, you know, uh, material science and a whole range of other stuff that we do better than anybody else in this country. One way to remind them is to build something that will showcase that and go run it, preferably in somebody else's desert. America's always best, it annoys them. Um, but it doesn't actually matter where go and run it fast it, and now you can live stream it to a global audience and excite them right there and then at the time. And also give all of the metrics to your potential sponsors on how successful you're being and you can showcase that technology and take them through an adventure. And even give you guys way more interesting science lessons than just opening a physics text textbook because you can actually build cars like this and then test them. Learn by doing. All of that isn't actually record breaking, it's all storytelling. Record breaking is actually what you're telling the story about, but it's the story that counts. Brooklyn's News. The trustees of the Brooklyn's Museum Trust have been uh, awarded the Carmen Award for Merit, uh, which recognises outstanding achievement worldwide in the sphere of transport by an individual or group. The museum has also been awarded a £488,000 grant from the Museum Estate and Development Fund that's run by the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport. Uh, the grant has been given to assist with the essential renovation work to the uh, Grade 2 listed clubhouse uh, that includes the restoration of the, the Members Bar balcony and the dome itself. 
And of course there are plenty of events coming up. The main one in June will be on the 18th and the 19th. It's the Brooklyn's Festival of Motorsport. On the 16th of June uh, we have a talks evening with West Surrey Racing's Dick Bennett's. We'll be talking about the early careers of drivers such as Ayrton Senna, Mika Hakkinen and Rubens Baradchuk. That's followed on the 26th of June by the London Bus Museum's event on the buses. All the events can be found at brooklandsmuseum.com Thanks for listening.